I love it that we did that song. That's like not a Christmas song. It's an Advent song, soon and very soon. And so we're in the season of waiting and anticipating. So thanks, Chris, for that. Appreciate it. Several weeks ago, Pastor Diana and Kayla and I were on a Skype call with Michael Trout and Sharona uh, Drake, who are uh, the leaders at YMEN. Uh, YMEN, which is the Young Men's Educational Network uh, located in North Lawndale in Chicago. And as we gathered uh, a few weeks ago around uh, Diana's computer, we were doing some of the first stages of planning for the Christmas event two weeks from today on the, on the 13th. And at some point we were discussing ideas and Diana had mentioned that what, we're doing, what we were going to do here on the Sundays of Advent was a theme around the, the kingdom of God and around Jesus being the king of kings. And so we, Diana had already, already settled on this theme of, of focusing on Jesus being our king. And at some point during our conversation, Michael Trout, who is a very exuberant uh, person, just kind of shouted hallelujah. And he said, we should shout hallelujah during that service. In fact, he said, we should sing the hallelujah chorus on the 13th, um, which actually we are going to try to do, by the way. Um, but all of a sudden, as he shouted hallelujah a couple different times on this call, one thing led to another, and we landed on our theme of hallelujah, he is king of kings and lord of lords. That familiar phrase from the Hallelujah Chorus, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he shall reign forever and ever. And actually, David Good's class would tell us the Hallelujah Chorus is actually from the Easter part of the Messiah. And it's so often sung at Christmas because we, in a sense, know the end of the story. We know where we're headed. And waiting for the king during Advent, we identify with those who are waiting for the Messiah, but now with Christians around the world, we wait for that final consummation of the kingdom when Christ will come again. Sorry about that. I was talking too much and my iPad died. It's coming. There we go. Hallelujah is used to express praise. It's used to express great joy or thanks God. Literally, the word hallelujah means let us praise God, which would be sort of an exhortation. Come on, do this. Let us praise God. But mainly in scripture and in usage over the centuries, it has been used as simply an expression of praise. Praise God. Let us praise God. It comes 24 times in the Old Testament. Sometimes untranslated comes as hallelujah. Sometimes it comes through as as, uh, praise the Lord. But it is the word hallelujah in Hebrew. In the New Testament, it is only four times, and it happens to be located in only six verses. The first six verses of Revelation 19 include the word hallelujah, four different times. It's the only place it shows up in the New Testament. And of course, in Revelation, it's this scene of great worship around the throne of the Lamb, expressing praise for the final victory over evil in Revelation 19. And that's where we get this hallelujah, King of kings, Lord of lords, comes from Revelation 19. It's actually one of only a few words that come to us from the Hebrew without being translated. Can you think of any other words that we use that aren't translated, that we use from the original Hebrew? There's one we use on, here's a a hint, Palm Sunday. It's Hosanna, right? Hosanna is another one that comes from the Greek or the the, uh, Hebrew or Aramaic, which is related to it. So the word in Hebrew is hallelujah. Uh, The Greek transliteration, which is alleluia, same word, but it comes more from the Greek, has been used for centuries in uh, Christian liturgy, liturgy, Christian music. It's used in classical uh, choral pieces. It's used in traditional hymns. And it's used in contemporary choruses of praise and worship as well. Alleluia has found its way into all of the music and liturgy of the church since the time of Christ and before. Hallelujah, hallelujah. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. Cosmically, that means that Christ does reign and Christ is the one who will pull all things together and pull all of creation back together when he comes again. That's what it means cosmically for him to be King of kings and Lord of lords. But there is also a personal dimension of Jesus being the King of kings 
and the Lord of Lords. He is my king. He is Lord of my heart and my life. In fact, as Diane and I were playing with this whole theme and working on it, we, we were sort of kiddingly coming up with that phrase that children use sometimes when, when one child's telling another child what to do. And the answer back is, hey, you can't tell me to do that. You're not the boss of me. <laughs> and so we're going to use that little phrase of who is the boss of me? If another person's not the boss of me, who is? And so often we take that role for ourselves. But what we're going to try to push into these weeks is that Jesus is the boss of me. He is my King and Lord. That's where we're headed these weeks of Advent then. In this Advent season, then, we celebrate Jesus. Hallelujah. And we look deeply into what it means for him to be our King and Lord. Who is the boss of me? I had two really good friends in high school. Actually, the, 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 they were a couple. And the woman, actually, I, I got to know her in high school. It was really her family was very uh, instrumental in inviting me to Young Life where I came to know Christ. And they were one of the early families that I think prayed for me as a, a young believer. But I knew their, I dated her younger sister, but she and her boyfriend became very good friends of mine because we all went off to the same college for the first couple of years too. They were, took their faith very seriously. They took me to, co- to, to, uh, to church in, in the town where I was going to college at the time. Uh, and these two were very faithful in their relationship with each other and with Christ. And as uh, time for graduation came, they were engaged and they began planning for their wedding. And um, this couple, I want to tell you, they waited. Let me just say they waited for everything. I mean, they had hardly even kissed before the wedding, let alone what they were waiting for, okay? And... Um, I also have to tell you that this was the early 70s, and some of you remember back in those days uh, the book, The Late Great Planet Earth, where a lot of prophecy work was being done and a lot of things were aligning, and there were people that were absolutely convinced that Jesus was coming back within at least the next three weeks, if not the next year. We were convinced, those who had read Hal Lindsey, that Jesus was coming again. Well, i got to tell you, this young couple, they were very excited about that, and they very much wanted Jesus to wait to to come back, but they kind of wanted him to wait until after their wedding night to come back. And that was, they used to kid about that. So when they finally planned their wedding and the wedding happened, uh, the recessional, the wedding was done. The recessional as they came down the aisle was the hallelujah chorus. (laughs) Hallelujah. We made it. So they rushed off to the hotel. I think they stopped by the reception for a while, but anyway, hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see, it had been all kidding aside, had been a long period of waiting, a long period of faithfulness for this couple of trusting God. A long time of really waiting for this gift of God. And so they sent this shout up of hallelujah to God's faithfulness to them as a couple. The Old Testament really is to be seen as a long season of waiting. A long season of waiting for the Messiah to come to their rescue. The New Testament tells us of the fulfillment of that promise in Jesus, that the salvation that we enjoy now, but there's still a, a not yet to the biblical drama, isn't there? Christ has come and Christ has saved us. Christ is making things right, but Christ will come again and reconcile all things and set up his perfect kingdom. And so there was a now and a not yet. And so today, as we consider the now and the not yet on this first Sunday of Advent, the now and the not yet of the biblical drama, we come to understand what waiting for the king can mean for us. Katya did an excellent job of reading Jeremiah 33, verses 14 through 16. And she read it from the Bible that she got here a few Sundays ago when we gave uh, Bibles to our first graders. It happened to be Katya's very first Sunday at Naperville Covenant when we gave them the Bible. And she said, why didn't I get one? So the next Sunday she got one. So I'm glad you're using it, Katya. Way to go. But she read for us from Jeremiah 33:14 to 16. And it begins with these words, the days are coming. The days are coming when, um, well, lots of things. There's lots of ways that we could finish that sentence right here. We could end, finish that sentence with, with great hope or, or not. 
Some of you might be sitting there saying the days are coming when Christmas will finally be here. And others might be sitting here saying the days are coming when Christmas will finally be over. (laughs) Some young families are saying the days are coming when the youngest will be out of diapers. And others in the middle ages are saying there will come a day when the youngest is out of college. Others are looking and saying the days are coming when the market will be more favorable. The days are coming when the kids are grown. The days are coming when we get to retire, travel, relax. The days are coming when everybody in Washington, D.C. gets along and agrees. Well, (laughs) Jeremiah 33, the days are coming are what I call waiting words. Waiting words. In some places in the prophets, they are warning words. They are judgment words. The days are coming. Are a a threat and and a word of judgment. That's a little bit like, wait till your father gets home. <laughs> but here, these waiting words are filled with great hope. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise that I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. The days are coming when I will fulfill the promise. And this was giving hope to, to all of the Holy Land, to both, both halves of the Holy Land. We have to remember that when Jeremiah was writing that the Holy Land was split in two, there was the kingdom of Israel in the north and the kingdom of Judah to the south, and they did not get along very well. They were divided. They had been disobedient, and the northern kingdom especially had even begun to follow other gods even more, more, more fervently than the southern kingdom, but the southern kingdom was no dreamland either. They'd received prophetic warning after prophetic warning. There was the threat that they would be destroyed and carried away, and that actually happened. But even in that, even in the prophecies of Jeremiah, which are some of the more grim ones to come, there's always this little bit of glimmer of hope as they are waiting. The days are coming. The days are coming. These waiting words then become promise words. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. God is saying, I promise the day is coming. It looks grim now, and as I said, it gets worse in Jeremiah, but the days are coming, I promise. You just have to keep waiting expectantly and hopefully. And the hope then in the waiting is wrapped up in then this one that they called the one to come, the one to come. Gradually in Old Testament prophecy, the promise of the Messiah appears. And the promise of Messiah was not just that there will be better times, not that there will just be a change in attitude or a change in economics, that there'll be a change in the culture, but there'll be a, a new leader, and this one who will be a leader will be a new kind of leader, like a leader like no one has ever seen or been before. This one will be a king, but he won't be like any kind of king that you've ever seen before. This is one who will usher in the days to come. He is the one to come, and he will usher in the days to come. And Jeremiah here calls him the branch from David's line. The branch from David's line. He will be a king like his father, his ancestor David. This branch and vine theme is so familiar through Scripture, isn't it? We see it in the Old Testament and New Testament. I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus says it in John 15. But actually, if you read the Old Testament, you find that Israel often was compared to a vine all through Scripture. It's used as an image of the people of Israel. And gradually, this branch, this sprout, would become more closely identified as, as it's developed by the prophets. It would become more and more closely identified with the coming Messiah. And it clearly became a title or a name for the Messiah after the exile. 
In fact, some of you may be familiar with an Advent tradition called the Jesse tree, where you put all these different ancestors of Jesus, you hang pictures of them and scriptures about them on a tree. Well, the, the name Jesse tree comes from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. It says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. And who is Jesse? But Jesse was David's father. And so we call it the Jesse tree. Here's the branch. Here's the shoot. Here's this promise of a king. And when we meet David, he begins as a shepherd, but of course, the story, he ends up a king. And the Messiah is in a direct, even biological line and spiritual line from David. The Messiah is in a direct line from David. He is the branch. He is the king. We began this morning with the well-known Advent hymn. And realize the word Advent simply means coming. Advent means it's coming. The advent of something is the coming of something. And the well-known hymn that we began with this morning was, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Come thou long expected Jesus. And it also continues on with this phrase in the, second, in the second verse. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. In Jesus, the waiting for that king is over. He has brought salvation. He has brought life. He has brought justification within believers who have accepted the free gift of life by grace. But the fullness of righteousness and the fullness of justice where everything is brought together as it should be is not yet. So we live in this now and this not yet. He is the one who is born a king. He is the one who will reign in us forever. And we live in the now and the not yet. This one to come will also bring righteousness and justice and salvation. Jeremiah 33 verse 15 says, He will do what is right and he will, he will do what is right and just in the land. Righteousness. The Greek word literally means equity of character. Equity of character. Everything as it should be in one's character. And Jesus is marked by righteousness. Equity of character is to possess all of the good qualities, possess all good qualities in perfection and in perfect balance. And when we have that kind of definition for righteousness, there's only one candidate that fits, fits that, right? And that would be Jesus himself. Only God is righteous, and it comes forth in his son, Jesus Christ. Righteousness. He will be the righteous one. Justice will also mark this one who is to come. And justice is to say that, to say that God is just is to say that he always does what is right. To say that he is just is to say that all, what he always does is put things together so that they are right, so that they are fair. To be a just one just means that he does what should be done, what is right, what is equal, what is fair. And that he does it consistently and that he does it without partiality and he does it without any kind of prejudice. His very nature is justice. And the branch, this this king we are waiting for, this one to come brings that promise, brings hope for it all to get better as he personifies and embodies righteousness and justice. He brings hope that it will get better in the world in which we live and the world to come. But only as individuals come to him and are changed and are declared righteous and just. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ. There's no way that we can measure up to the standards of righteousness. But in Jesus Christ, God declares that we are, in fact, righteous. We are in right standing with him. And then he calls us to live in ways that are just. Jesus is coming and his very nature usher in a new age of righteousness and justice personified in him. The work that we are called to do as believers now in the, in, in the now and uh, the not yet the work that we're called to do, that, that, the work that brings justice in the midst of this broken world is what we do in the name of Jesus. 
It's part of our waiting. It's integral to our waiting. How do we wait? Part of our waiting is to do the work of justice. Part of our waiting is to to build a relationship with the King Jesus and, and to let him bring that righteousness within and then to do acts of justice in his name that proclaim him. It's integral to our waiting now for the second coming of the King is to do kingdom work. Or as we say here in our vision statement, to make a kingdom difference. We're not called to just sit and wait for that gift of salvation to come. We're to do kingdom work. It's part of our waiting. That's what waiting means. We do justice work now. We remember how he taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're on earth now and doing the works of the kingdom even now. It's part of our waiting. In Jeremiah's day, they were waiting. They were were longing for the king. They were longing for the Messiah to come. And he tells us in 3316 that he has another name. The Lord, our righteous Savior. The Lord, our righteous Savior. I love... Katya read from the New Reader's Version for for children. And I think it says, the Lord who makes everything all right. Does it say it that way? The Lord who makes everything all right. What's that reassurance we try to give to somebody when things are troubled and off balance? Everything's going to be all right. Sometimes we say that and we really don't believe it. We know there are words that need to be said. But in Jesus, everything is going to be made all right. He is the one to come, and then finally, he is also then the one to come to. The one to come to. Jesus, Savior, Lord, and King. Jesus is Savior, someone to break that hopeless cycle of life, to free us from guilt. Savior, though, can sometimes sort of have that one-and-done feel to it. You know, Jesus is my Savior because I prayed a prayer and received him as my Savior, and therefore I'm saved. And that's why we like to include that word Lord and King as well, because there's something going on then. There's something ongoing in that. He is the Lord over us. He's directing us. He's one who will reign forever when the fullness of righteousness come uh, and when sin is forgiven, but he's, he's also that inside each of us. He is our King. He is a benevolent King, reigning, protecting, and guiding. Jesus, Lord and Savior, the one to come to. Especially when we live in a place that I like to call the land between. And in between. It was at the Willow Creek Leadership Conference, which several of us go to every year, uh, sometimes all the way up to Barrington, but actually lived just down the street from Yellow Box, and they showed it on the screen there. But anyway, it was uh, a few years ago, one of the speakers there was a pastor from Kansas City named Jeff Mannion. And Mannion gave a talk on, about the land between. He talked about the children of Israel and how they traveled from Egypt to the promised land and how it took 40 years and it was a a very trying time. It was a time of many failures and losses and it was a time of of learning for them. But they're always looking forward to the, the holy land. The promised land was always out there. So there was this waiting, but there was this hard life in between. And it was a land between. They're wandering around in the desert wilderness was life in the land between. And Mannion seizes on to that image and talks about life right now for too many people that live in that place of being in between. He says this in part of his description. Have you lost your job? Have you lost a spouse, a boyfriend, or a girlfriend? Have you suffered an unexpected loss? Then you are in a potentially dangerous place, the land between. Or in other words, you are in transition. This can be an extremely painful place. And it can bring you to bitter complaining and despair. We saw that in the children of Israel, didn't we? But We can also learn here in the land between how God provides for you. 
learn how to, trans- how to transition and get from the land between to the land of milk and honey. Is what Manny was saying. And I thought about this this week as I was talking about waiting for the king. We know that the king is with us in the midst of the difficulties, and yet sometimes we need to name the place we are as that in-between place where it is not all together, and we do not necessarily see the solution, yet we cling to Christ in the midst of it. I talked to some friends uh, earlier this fall who had referred to a, a period of time in their church between pastors, a long pastoral transition. They referred to that in leadership as the land in between. That it wasn't just a time of waiting until they found the perfect pastor, but it was because every church does find the perfect pastor eventually, right? Duh. But anyway, it wasn't just that, but it was what they were learning even in that time in between. The young couple I talked to recently who are struggling with what may be issues of infertility, and trying to not let it turn to a bitterness, but to turn to a hopefulness and a trusting God in that in-between time. Others I've talked to recently who are in seasons of vocational challenge and chain, a job loss and a potential change for a job, waiting for one to come through. It's an in-between place where our faith can get shaken and we can say we know all the good news and all the bad answers of Scripture, but where I'm living right now is a time of difficulty in the land between. Advent message can drop down into the midst of our life when we're in that in-between place. The season of, of waiting that sometimes is filled with suffering or pain or a deep longing for things to get better. That the promise of Christ is just as real to us in our day-to-day life and perhaps even more real because it's our life than it was for those what we read about from two and even 3,000 years ago. This is life for us in the now and the not yet. It's part of the biblical drama that we read about, but it's part of our biblical drama that we live now. Just to understand a little bit what waiting for the king can mean. He is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. Will we let him be the boss of us? We wait by trusting him. We wait by drawing near to him. We wait by listening to what he says in his word. We wait by nurturing that relationship with him as our Lord and King, even when we're not sure where the next steps are going to be. But we also wait by working. We wait by staying active in the kingdom work that he's called us to do. We live into the righteousness that he's declared for us, and we act out in acts of justice. Jesus becomes the the boss of me as I draw near to him as my King and Lord, and as I let him do his kingdom work in and through me. We are in the now and the not yet. Waiting for the king could be a rich time of learning and growing and trusting him. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the hope that comes to us not only from right here from the pages of Scripture, but as your Spirit enters into each of our lives and hearts. You equip us for this waiting period in the now and yet, when the world seems to be getting worse and not better, when it seems like our efforts as a church don't seem to impact the world as you perhaps had intended for your church to do. Lord, we cling to your call on our lives. We cling to the promises of Scripture. And I pray especially for my sisters and my brothers in the room right now to identify with that in-between land where all is not well. 
and in you, Jesus, all is well. We pray that you would encourage us in this season of hope and waiting as we look to you, Jesus, and your promises of life and of hope. We pray in your name. Amen.